You are listening to LearnOutLoud.com's production of Spiritual Classics. Collecting key excerpts from a wide range of religious traditions throughout human history, this podcast is dedicated to showcasing the core teachings of the world's greatest spiritual thinkers. For a complete listing of all the Learn Out Loud podcasts with links to subscribe, please visit us at www.LearnOutLoud.com podcast. Thank you for listening. Book 10 Confucius in his village looked simple and sincere and as if he were not able to speak. When he was in the prince's ancestral temple or in the court, he spoke minutely on every point but cautiously. When he was waiting at court in speaking with the great officers of the lower grade, he spake freely but in a straightforward manner. In speaking with those of the higher grade, he did so blandly, but precisely. When the ruler was present, his manner displayed respectful uneasiness. It was grave, but self-possessed. When the prince called him to employ him in the reception of a visitor, his countenance appeared to change, and his legs to move forward with difficulty. He inclined himself to the other officers among whom he stood, moving his left or right arm, as their position required, but keeping the skirts of his robe before and behind evenly adjusted. He hastened forward with his arms like the wings of a bird. When the guest had retired, he would report to the prince, The visitor is not turning round any more. When he entered the palace gate, he seemed to bend his body as if it were not sufficient to admit him. When he was standing, he did not occupy the middle of the gateway. When he passed in or out, he did not tread upon the threshold. When he was passing the vacant place of the prince, his countenance appeared to change, and his legs to bend under him, and his words came as if he hardly had breath to utter them. He ascended the reception hall, holding up his robe with both his hands and his body bent, holding in his breath also as if he dared not breathe. When he came out from the audience, as soon as he had descended one step, he began to relax his countenance and had a satisfied look. When he had got to the bottom of the steps, he advanced rapidly to his place, with his arms like wings, and on occupying it, his manner still showed respectful uneasiness. When he was carrying the scepter of his ruler, he seemed to bend his body as if he were not able to bear its weight. He did not hold it higher than the position of the hands in making a bow, nor lower than their position in giving anything to another. His countenance seemed to change and looked apprehensive, and he dragged his feet along as if they were held by something to the ground. In presenting the presence with which he was charged, he wore a placid appearance. At his private audience, he looked highly pleased. The superior man did not use a deep purple or a puce color in the ornaments of his dress. Even in his undress, he did not wear anything of a red or reddish color. In warm weather, he had a single garment either of coarse or fine texture, but he wore it displayed over an inner garment. Over lamb's fur he wore a garment of black, over fawn's fur one of white, and over fox's fur one of yellow.
The fur robe of his undress was long, with the right sleeve short. He required his sleeping dress to be half as long again as his body. When staying at home, he used thick furs of the fox or the badger. When he put off mourning, he wore all the appendages of the girdle. His undergarment, except when it was required to be of the curtain shape, was made of silk, cut narrow above and wide below. He did not wear lamb's fur or a black cap on a visit of condolence. On the first day of the month he put on his court robes and presented himself at court. When fasting he thought it necessary to have his clothes brightly clean and made of linen cloth. When fasting he thought it necessary to change his food and also to change the place where he commonly sat in the apartment. He did not dislike to have his rice finely cleaned, nor to have his minced meat cut quite small. He did not eat rice which had been injured by heat or damp and turned sour, nor fish or flesh which was gone. He did not eat what was discolored or what was of a bad flavor, nor anything which was ill-cooked or was not in season. He did not eat meat which was not cut properly, nor what was served without its proper sauce. Though there might be a large quantity of meat, he would not allow what he took to exceed the due proportion for the rice. He did not partake of wine and dried meat bought in the market. He was never without ginger when he ate. He did not eat much. When he had been assisting at the prince's sacrifice, he did not keep the flesh which he received overnight. The flesh of his family's sacrifice he did not keep over three days. If kept over three days, people could not eat it. When eating, he did not converse. When in bed, he did not speak. Although his food might be coarse rice and vegetable soup, he would offer a little of it in sacrifice with a grave, respectful air. If his mat was not straight, he did not sit on it. When the villagers were drinking together, on those who carried staffs going out, he went out immediately after. When the villagers were going through their ceremonies to drive away pestilential influences, he put on his court robes and stood on the eastern steps. When he was sending complimentary inquiries to anyone in another state, he bowed twice as he escorted the messenger away. Chi Kong, having sent him a present of physic, he bowed and received it, saying, I do not know it. I dare not taste it. The stable being burned down, when he was at court, on his return he said, Has any man been hurt? He did not ask about the horses. When the prince sent him a gift of cooked meat, he would adjust his mat, first taste it, and then give it away to others. When the prince sent him a gift of undressed meat, he would have it cooked and offer it to the spirits of his ancestors. When the prince sent him a gift of a living animal, he would keep it alive. When he was in attendance on the prince and joining in the entertainment, the prince only sacrificed. He first tasted everything. When he was ill and the prince came to visit him, he had his head to the east, made his court robes be spread over him, and drew his girdle across them. 
When the prince's order called him, without waiting for his carriage to be yoked, he went at once. When he entered the ancestral temple of the state, he asked about everything. When any of his friends died, if he had no relations who could be depended on for the necessary offices, he would say, I will bury him. When a friend sent him a present, though it might be a carriage and horses, he did not bow. The only present for which he bowed was that of the flesh of sacrifice. In bed he did not lie like a corpse. At home he did not put on any formal deportment. When he saw anyone in a morning dress, though it might be an acquaintance, he would change countenance. When he saw anyone wearing the cap of full dress or a blind person, though he might be in his undress, he would salute them in a ceremonious manner. To any person in mourning he bowed forward to the crossbar of his carriage. He bowed in the same way to anyone bearing the tables of population. When he was at an entertainment when there was an abundance of provisions set before him, he would change countenance and rise up. On a sudden clap of thunder or a violent wind, he would change countenance. When he was about to mount his carriage, he would stand straight, holding the cord. When he was in the carriage, he did not turn his head quite round. He did not talk hastily. He did not point with his hands. Seeing the countenance, it instantly rises. It flies round, and by and by settles. The master said, There is the hen pheasant on the hill bridge. At its season, at its season, Su Lu made a motion to it. Thrice it smelt him and then rose.